Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. I'm joined this week by Lisa Earl McLeod. She's the author of several books, my favorite being Selling with Noble Purpose and also Leading with Noble Purpose. We're going to discuss the greatest misconception about selling coming out of a crisis, what customers learn while in isolation, and why focusing on quotas simply won't drive results. Lisa and I share so many views in common. I think you'll really enjoy this discussion with Lisa Earl McLeod. Lisa Earl McLeod, welcome back to the Same Side Selling Podcast. It is such a pleasure to be with you again. Can you start by sharing something surprising that our audience may not know about you? Most people are surprised to find out that I can water ski. And really? Their surprise is I am clearly a mid-aged woman, but yes, I can still water ski and I can even slalom. Really? I know. I, you're surprised because I don't look like I'm in that good of shape. I can't do it for long, but a couple of minutes I can do it. Yeah, but still, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. It does feel kind of badass when I do it. I'm sure. I'm sure. So I, I, I love all the work that, that you put out there. And obviously, from a philosophical standpoint, we've got so many things that are aligned. And I want to talk about this idea of resiliency and how people rebound after a crisis. What's the greatest misconception that you see that people have when it comes to kind of recovering or rebounding around fear and uncertainty? The biggest misconception that people have is that they're going to get back to normal. And particularly sales-driven organizations, they can't wait to get back to, quote, normal and be out there selling. And what they need to understand is this was a game changer. This was a major reset. It's not that their revenues won't go back to, quote, normal. They might. They might even be beyond that. But the approach that you have to customers has to be completely different. So what are some of the mistakes that you see people making as they're preparing this as they're talking to their teams, what are the things that they're doing? Because let's face it, we're creatures of habit. So, so someone who's a sales manager, someone who's, um, who's running a business, they fall back on what they know. So they, they use their old script, mm-hmm. their old game plan for how to re-engage people. And so what are some of the, some of the mistakes that you're seeing? So there's one big mistake that a lot of well-intended leaders make. And the old script is we get the team together, we huddle up virtually in person, and we say, we got this big aggressive number, let's go hit the number, charge, go, we're going to hit the number. And that sounds good in theory, but when you think about it from the seller's point of view, the seller is going into sales interactions thinking, I have to hit my number. Again, sounds good in theory, but there's a really important person missing from that conversation, and it's the customer. Because one of the things this period that we've gone through where everyone locked down and suddenly had to be at home, one of the things that that period did for us is a couple things. So first and foremost, customers realized they could do all their research online. They kind of already knew that, but they realized that. But the other thing is reputation became even more important. And so what happens is sellers whose only story from their boss is hit the number, hit the number, wind up being very transactional and customers can read through that. So the thing that managers need to do instead is on 
everyday basis, the same way in the old days they would have reinforced the number on an everyday basis, now they need to reinforce what is our purpose and how do we make a difference to customers. And that can't be a one-time thing. It has to be every day. Love it. Love it. Yeah, in this um, in this growth and crisis course that, that we had put out, one of the things we talked about is, look, the first thing you have to understand is, A, what's your client situation? And B, what are they trying to achieve? And if you can't help them achieve one of their top two or three priorities, then it's just not a good fit for you right now. You're not relevant. And, yeah. and, and the thing that we see with so many sales teams, again, well-intended people who truly want to help the customer, but what managers need to do. So the first thing is describe how we help the customer and that becomes your sales narrative. In our world, we call it your noble purpose. But the second thing you need to do is Reps need a higher degree of business acumen and business intelligence, because if you've got a great product, you know, in the old days, you could show it and a certain number of people go, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But now, just as you said, if you don't understand the customer's condition, you're not going to be relevant and you can't go through those early discoveries. So tell me about your business. Uh, You sure know about that. And you should be asking questions about, you know, I know that you guys are going into this new market. How is that going to affect your business plans? Like you should be asking really relevant questions yeah. early in the process. Or, or you could even start by saying, hey, how is this, how has this directly impacted your business beyond what I'm seeing in the news about it? Yeah. Or, and then it's, oh, here's what's going on. Okay. Gee, how's this affecting you personally? And then we're connecting to a human being. I, I, I've, been, I've been noticing lately, one of my terms is that you can't be the person trying to sell drapes to the client whose house is on fire. Right. And, it, and one of the things that, that happens is this was always true. Just like, for example, it was always true that um, people need to get along with their families. That was, no one would argue that before. It was always true that salespeople need to have a purpose of improving the customer's condition, that salespeople need to understand the customer. What happens is when you have an emotional reset for everyone, and that's what everyone has been through, this pause where people think about what's important, what matters to me, why am I here, who's helpful to me and who's not, that takes some truisms that were a little implicit and makes them very, very explicit. Yeah, and, and I think that it's, it's especially critical right now for people to have that sensitivity around what's going on within the client's organization because empathy, I believe, is going to be something that could not possibly be overrated as, as people recover and as people start to deal with the fear and uncertainty that, that their clients potentially have. It's that notion of, look, I need to be empathetic to their situation because otherwise salespeople suffer from what I like to call access displacement disorder. That's where they believe the axis of the earth has shifted and the world now revolves around them. And it doesn't yeah. work that way. So what I love is that everything you're talking about is centered around what's important to your client. What's your noble purpose in terms of how you're serving their needs? Which, by the way, if you do that well, you're going to sell a lot of stuff, but you're going to sell it in service of someone's needs and not just because you had a number to hit. Mm-hmm. So what's, okay. what's, that, what's that trap Lisa, that, that people fall into, because I've seen people where it's like, okay, well, hey, we had, we had a pause on our quotas, but now everything's back to normal. You know, how do people avoid that insanity? 
So I think the best way to describe it is to compare and contrast uh, two sales teams. If you have one sales team where the chief revenue officer, VP of sales, CEO says, okay, we're back. It's time to go hit the number. You all need to drive it. We've got to sell these products to customers. You guys need to go out here and crush it. We are going to rebound, hit the number. So picture that sales team. It's yep. better than a sales team of slackers, that's for sure. But think about what's in their head. What's in their head is me and my number and crushing it. Now compare that against the sales team whose CEO stands up and says, here's why our customers need us. Our noble purpose is to improve life for customers. And here is exactly the way we do it. So your job right now is to call on as many people as possible and find out how we can help them. And picture the customers. Which group of salespeople would you rather have calling on you? And the data tells us that that second sales team will do three things. They will drive more revenue. And the data could not be more clear. They will produce more revenue. But the other thing that they will do is they will sell stickier deals. So they will sell more recurring revenue because their customers will be more connected to them. And they will also sell higher margin deals because it's all about the customer. Yeah, they're, they're focused on results at that point. They're not focused on, so it's it's interesting. One of the things that, that, that I often do with teams, I'll say, okay, I want you to think of the buyer-seller interaction as a race. The initial contact is the starting block. What's the finish line? And people will often shout out, it's the sale, it's the close. Someone in accounting says getting paid. And I say, okay, it's all good. Let's write those down. Now, let's say you are the client. What would you say is the finish line? And and the client is never going to say, well, it's the sale, it's the purchase. The client isn't even going to say it's it's delivery. The client is going to say it's the results. And so if we're focused on results with our client, then all of a sudden we're totally aligned. We're on the same side and we're operating with noble purpose just to draw a bridge between both of our work. Right. Um, which is, which is why I so love the, um, the work that you put out there. So what are some of the things that businesses can do to tap into that noble purpose and to make sure that they are selling into these opportunities? Because let's face it, coming out of a crisis, we're not saying that people shouldn't be selling. They should just be selling with integrity. So what are some of the steps that people can take? So a couple of things, first and foremost, clarify your own noble purpose for customers. Do it at the top of the organization. If you're not doing it at the top of the organization, sellers need to do it for themselves. How do we make a difference to clients? Back to your point, what's what's the end game for clients? The second thing, and this is a super simple hack that sales managers can do that will make sales calls infinitely better. When you are doing a pipeline report uh, conversation with a rep or you are coaching a call, there's one simple question managers can ask. How will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? If you ask your sellers that before they go on calls, before they do a proposal, you entirely shift their brain. They go from thinking about themselves to thinking about the customer. So that's the second thing that you can do. And the third thing that you can do, and we uh, teach sellers how to do this, and it's in the book, Selling with Noble Purpose, is tell client impact stories. And this is really important because it's not enough to say, well, we help our clients be more efficient. You need to tell actual stories 
about how that happened. And I'm not talking those sanitized case studies. I'm talking about stories with a level of emotion. Because once we get beyond food and shelter, human beings want two things. They want belonging and significance. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. So as a leader, when you start telling stories about how your company made a difference to customers, you're building belief in your team. Have you joined the Same Side Selling Academy yet? Right now, get a free preview and free access to the three-part course, Growth During a Crisis. It comes complete with worksheets, quizzes, and Q&A with me. Just visit samesideselling.com slash podcast and enter the code SAMESIDE1. No strings attached. You know what? I, I love that. So, so it's idea of having clarifying your noble purpose so that um, I just want to recap, make sure, make sure our audience gets this. So clarify your noble purpose. Ask that question of how, how will your client be different after we've helped them? Mm -hmm. And then um, share those client impact stories as part of that for belonging and significance. And it's interesting. You mentioned this, there's the, um, the firm that I use that does all of our web development is a company called Yoko CO. And one of the things that they found is like they, they really connected with clients who were trying to make a difference. And the clients who weren't trying to make a difference, they felt they were doing fine in terms of digital marketing, but it wasn't that exciting for their team. And as an organization, Chris Yoko is the CEO, said, with every client now, we are going to measure how many lives our work is impacting for them. And when they meet and talk about projects, they don't say how much revenue it is, how much effort it is. The first thing they start with is how many lives will this impact? And they have a barometer on their website that shows how many lives are impacting. Their goal is we want to impact a million lives by this date. And they track it every time. And what's happened is there are hospitals and healthcare organizations who reach out to them and say, wait, that's our mission too. That's we want to work with you. And so that's when I say, let's take this full circle. The, the leadership language is everything, and you want to build belief. We don't often think of managers as belief builders, but you want to build belief in your team that our work matters because the psychological um, studies tell us that team will be more resilient. They'll be more persistent. They'll sell with more authenticity. And then the business data tells us that circling all full circle, they'll close more deals, they'll close sure. bigger deals, they'll close stickier deals, and they'll close higher margin deals. And and this has to be authentic. This, when I talk about this, I'm drawing the line to revenue, but this doesn't happen in one call. But what we've seen, we've done this with clients over a period of a year. I mean, we've had some clients double their revenue. So, I mean, it, it shows up and it doesn't oh, yeah. take forever, but it, it's not like, okay, I asked them how the client would be different. And 30 minutes later, we didn't have more money. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, it's because what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a culture of people right. who say, you know what, if we're not making a difference, why are we selling to these people? We should only be selling to people where we're making a difference. And then all of a sudden, the client sees that, oh, wait, results matter more. In fact, it's interesting because in, in the case of Chris Yoko's team, as well as other organizations that I work with, one of, the, one of the messages is, look, if we can't measure the results and know that we were successful, then my management won't let us take on that work. Right. Then why are we doing it? And, it, yeah. and like imagine, and, and the thing, I cannot emphasize this enough, the psychological component about this, 
think about the difference between somebody that goes home at night or goes to their family room at night um, and sits down with their table and they say, hey, mom or dad, what'd you do today? And they say, I closed three deals versus the person that sits down and says, I changed 3,500 lives today. That person has so much more pride. That person is creating a story for themselves that they're going to share with their family that they're going to talk about. That's why they sell more. And the thing that's interesting is it is 100% in leadership's power to create that. And you start with the words. You know, I I love it. And, And to think about the notion of a rep talking to a client. And the client says, so what's new in your world? And they can either say, well, so I brought in this much revenue this month. Or they can say, you know what? I was able to help this business do this and that. I was able to help this this company right. now has it so that 20% of their team is getting home an hour earlier to spend time with their family. And, oh, yes, I happen to be selling something along the way. But I think that too often you're dead on right that the seller is disconnected from the results. And, in fact, I was talking to an organization recently, and they, they were saying – well, so we have we have the, the seller sells the deal, and then we have a team that makes sure that they the client gets success. I said, well, that's great. So how do you close that loop with the salesperson? Oh, we don't have time for the salesperson to follow back up with a client. And I just you know held my head in my hands. I'm like, you're missing this huge opportunity. Because that's how you build belief. That's how you build strength. And it's and it's what is the prevailing narrative of the organization. And we had a client um, years ago, uh, they're in the book and they blackbawed. And so this is public information. And when they got a new CEO who really was focused on purpose, they shifted the way they did their town halls from talking about their financial results to like two minutes of financial results and the rest was client impact stories. And so what happens is you shift the entire organizational mindset and, and the, a couple of things happened. They drove more sales. They're a publicly traded company. You can track it. But also what happened is they drove more innovation. Sure. Because the way you drive innovation is talking and thinking about clients. You don't drive innovation looking in the room going, hey, guys, what can we invent? You drive innovation by sitting in a room and going, hey, what are our clients going through and how can we help them? So that leadership language is everything. It shifts the, it points it shifts the organization and it points them in an entirely different direction. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's interesting. I, I think about the academic world that I usually have some level of disdain for um, because I think that they get disconnected from reality. Yet my, uh, our son is in a program at Ohio State University called Integrated Business and Engineering Honors. And in this IBE program, one of the things they do is, so they take 18 honors engineering students, 18 honors business students, they put them in a cohort together, and their mission each year is, here's a problem that's out in the marketplace that doesn't have a solution. And what I want you to research is how this problem is impacting people's lives, and then how we can fix it, and then come up with business and engineering solutions to solve it, and part of the part of the, the the goal is to identify how people's lives are different. And once they do that, then they're allowed to do the financial modeling that says, and what's the, what's the revenue behind it. But if they can't identify first how it makes people's lives better, then they shouldn't be doing it. And I think a lot of businesses could learn from that. Absolutely, I love this because one of the things that you said there that's really important that sales leaders can do 
is when you say, what's the impact of this problem on people? And the more clarity you have on that, you know, like you, I haven't um, done a lot with academics and wasn't um, personally super successful there myself, but um, not working up to potential is a refrain of my youth. <laughs> but, and, oh, that and talks too much. But I will tell you, there is a study that came out from Michigan State, and it was Dr. Valerie Good. And she did a study on sales motivation. And I just wrote about this for Forbes because she had a father-in-law who was a top seller who sold wheels. And he said, you know, when I, for tractor trailers, he said, these wheels, they save lives. Because when you get in an accident with a tractor trailer, if they have the right wheels, that car, the people will not be killed. I am literally saving lives by selling these wheels. And he sold so many, he outsold manufacturing. They had to make him a partner in the business and open up these other manufacturing facilities. And so she remembered this from, you know, her, her own college days. She did a study in the financial industry, and she found out that that mental picture that you have of the impact you have on people's lives is directly linked to sales performance. And this is an academic study. You know what? I, I love it. In fact, it's it's funny because I work with a number of people in the in the wealth management and financial services space, mm-hmm. and the the top performing businesses that I talk to do not look at it as how many more assets can we manage. Right. They look at themselves and they say, "Man, people are underserved. They're not being they, you know their their retirements aren't well safeguarded. Their their money isn't properly protected. And I feel like if we don't help these people, nobody will." is their mindset. And the people who are just smiling and dialing and hitting people with spam, they're just trying to figure out how to get more assets under management. They can't understand how these other people are helping other organizations so much. There's an organization called um, Concentric Private Wealth. And during the, during the coronavirus crisis, what she offered, um, the CEO's woman named um, Catherine Loyola, and what she offered was, she said, well, so for a lot of my clients and for people in the community, their kids are now home. These are stressful times. So she hired someone who was a yoga instructor, a clinical psychologist, this and that, and they would do adult yoga. And then they would have an hour later yoga for kids. And they would have a psychologist talk to parents about what's going on in their world. And they would have a psychologist who would talk to kids and she just offered this as a service to people because she said, here's what people are going through. Here's when they need help. And someone said, well, what does this have to do with wealth management? It's like, you're missing the point. Like she's meeting her clients where they are rather than trying to drag them to something else. And it's, and it's proven to be very successful for her. Well, it's not surprising. We had a, a bank that we worked with, a commercial bank. And when we landed on their purpose, it's We Fuel Prosperity. And I love it because what happened to them during the crisis was they thought our clients need us now more than ever. We've got to help these people ensure prosperity. And they also had a long track record of being that kind of bank. And and so it is interesting because if you look, the language is always a tell. And so if you look at all of these organizations, financial institutions are a good example. One piece of language that they use is they say, we want to increase our share of wallet meaning we want to get more of our clients' money. And it may be well-intended because we're serving them well, but that language, imagine the difference between a banker who's told your job is to increase share of wallet versus a banker who's told 
our mission, our purpose here is we fuel prosperity. Yeah. And, and the misnomer that people often have about noble purpose is that it means giving things away for free and that it means uh, just um, philanthropic and it, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, you know what, and I, and I think that the the lesson here, and it's something that I see in my clients, and you see in your clients, is this notion of, look, if you if you're helping people achieve amazing results, and if you're in you're in alignment with your client about what the results need to be, then you're going to get more repeat and referral business. They're gonna they're gonna want to deal with you versus somebody else because anybody can sell them stuff that may or may not work. But if you're committed to and focused on their results as much as they are, then the client feels a greater sense of comfort. That's why they're willing to pay more. That's why those deals happen in a shorter time frame. That's why those clients become greater referral sources because we can point back to the results. It's not just the client says, woohoo, we bought something from you. That's never been said in the history of the world where someone, where the client was celebrating high five and going, we just bought something. Isn't this great? It doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. And it, and it is what you choose to celebrate. And the things that, that we see is clients with clarity about their purpose have greater competitive differentiation and more emotional engagement. Love it. Love it. And I know on your, on your website, you've got this, I forget if it's a white paper, an ebook about overcoming fear and selling. Um, how do people, how do people find that? Uh, go to our website. If you just uh, search noble purpose online, we'll come up and it's on the homepage. Um, click and get a download. And, and the reason we wanted to put that out there is as you think about rebounding, it's, it can be really exciting but people are also really afraid because they think, okay, maybe we had a pause in our quotas, but they're back. And so we wanted to address this idea of how do you quiet that lizard brain, that fearful, oh my God, I have to close this deal mindset. How do you quiet that and turn that energy towards your customers? I love it. I love it. What's what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Because I think that people should, anybody who's listening to my podcast, you will get a ton of value from what Lisa does. So how do people find you? So you can follow me on LinkedIn. And if you want to contact me directly, just go to our website. There's a contact button. It'll come straight to me. And the thing, I'll tell you, the thing that we're really working with clients on now is I'm doing two things that I think are proving to be pretty valuable. I'm working backstage as an executive advisor to a lot of leaders to help them get the language right. And we've also, I've always done virtual programs. I do, um, I have a lot of LinkedIn learning programs, but I've started to do virtual programs for sales teams directly, like little one hour things in their meetings. And it's proving to be really valuable because people need to, they need to tether themselves to something right now. I love it. I love it. Well, I encourage people to take a look at what you're doing there. And as always, thanks for sharing your wisdom. It's so great to be on the same side with you. (laughs) Take care. Lisa shared so many great ideas. Remember to visit samesidesellingacademy.com slash podcast and use the code SAMESIDE1 to get your free access to the Same Side Selling Academy. Here's a quick recap of the ideas Lisa shared that you can put to use right away. First, just telling people to hit the number won't motivate sellers and certainly won't attract customers. Second, clarify your noble purpose. 
And remember to ask your team members, how will the client be different after this deal? Finally, share a client success story centered around their results. Thanks for taking the time to share this podcast with others and for rating the show in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.